You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. doing well we've retired the preaching desk for now so, uh, for now we may bring it back out but every now and we just we like to do something different that uh, keeps you uh, awake it's just as cold as it is outside we wanted to be a little closer together yes you know? that's exactly right that's exactly right well hey uh good morning to the first uh the <laughs> the first uh church service of 2022 uh here we are this is uh yeah give yourself a round of applause <clears throat> showed up for those of you in person well, who are not, here... It's not for me. While you heathen were out partying on New Year's Eve, I was at home praying for your dirty right. souls. Absolutely. We were praying. We knew, uh, we knew what you were up to. No, but listen, <laughs> you're, you're here. You're already off to a good start. Uh, way to go. I mean, that, there's something to be said about that. There's something commendable. For those of you online this morning, you made some effort, right? We can applaud that <laughs> a little bit. I mean... Uh, if you're sick, then we can definitely applaud that. You, you stay home and, and watch us from a distance. For those of you who are watching online, but not live right now, like later on, uh, we can give you a participation trophy, I guess. I mean, I, I don't, there's not much else I can offer you uh, beyond that. And for those of you who are not watching at all, well, I, it doesn't really matter what I think because you won't hear it. You won't hear it anyways. You're beyond hope. One thing that the new year does every year is it brings around this idea of resolutions, right? Every year, a bunch of people make a bunch of promises to themselves to be fitter, happier, more productive individuals. They uh, attempt to be more active, to eat less sugar, to read more books. I mean, there's always some kind of, you know, pattern with regard to health and, and learning and all of that. And those are good things. I mean, uh, certainly, I, I, have, I have very little negative to say about resolutions. Uh, every year, people uh, commit to them. Uh, and then Every year, people compromise them. It's kind of a, a mixture of both. Uh, you have some that, that make the, the resolution, and they say committed the whole year. You have some that make the resolution, and they very quickly fall off the wagon. They compromise. Commitment and compromise is a good way of thinking about these resolutions. Now, it sounds like a downer, but, but really it's just the facts. One week after resolutions, statistics show there is a 75% success rate Still, after one week, which maybe sounds good. I'm a bit more of a pessimist wow. at heart. Most people can make it a whole week. What, what I hear in that statistic is actually it took a whopping seven days for 25% of those people to fail. I mean, that, that is like very little commitment, and, and you're already He's a glass half-empty kind of guy, you know. I am for sure. After one month, that statistic goes down to 64% <clears throat> success. So just one month into the year... And uh, 36% of people have fallen off. By six months, less than 50% people are still committed towards their resolution, which is, I mean, honestly, a little higher than I anticipated. It's like in the mm -hmm. 40s, like 43%, yeah. something like that. Now, not to be a total downer, um, there are also some statistics that show that comparatively, New Year's goals garner more success than mid-year goals. Uh, people who begin a resolution at the beginning of the year statistically have a better chance at completing that goal than people who do it uh, midway through the year. And that is honestly not very surprising to me. I, I think there's something about the new year that is rather motivating, right? I mean, mentally, it sort of feels like a reset button has so been So those pressed. people that buy that exercise bike in the middle of the summer really don't ever use They're it. They're toast. They're toast. They're toast. Because <laughs> somebody that bought it brand new in January. Right. They've yeah. got all these things going on. Right. Because the new year, it, it, right, it presents this kind of new opportunity, a do-over, another shot. And biblically speaking, there's something to be said about that. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25 uh, gives us this, uh, not us, but Israel, this, this really interesting pattern that after, uh, it, it says after seven cycles of seven years, so 49 years, every 49 years on the 50th year, they are to celebrate something called Jubilee. 
And uh, it's this 50th year that kind of brings in a reset to the land and to the people. If there was money that was owed, if you were in debt on, on Jubilee, when Jubilee strikes, that money is forgiven. Everything is reset. Just hold out half a century. Absolutely. going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> people are going loan. about 47 years in. I'm going to take out a huge loan here. And uh, Right. Uh, slave, slavery was uh, a, a thing in this economic structure. The 50th year, people were released from indentured servitude to go back to whatever it was that they desired to do. If you had bartered land with somebody and it was family land after 50 years on that year of Jubilee, that land was rightfully restored to each of the individuals who originally owned it. It's this kind of hopeful restart that we see. And obviously Jubilee and and New Year's resolutions are are very different in in a lot of ways. But the point is that there's something I think very hopeful about starting over, about being given another shot to just re-examine everything, re-examine your priorities, your actions, what you're doing to grow as a human being, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. And so this morning, what we want to do is talk about the spiritual aspect of this, that, that we, we want to suggest to you that in this new year, perhaps this is a good time to examine some of the practices that you are currently engaged in on a spiritual level and determine whether or not your priorities are correct to look at the choices that you've been making and and look back at what we talked about last week, actually, in our message last week, and see those things in light of this new year, this new opportunity to maybe do some things a little bit differently. So I titled the message this morning, 2022, A Year of Commitment and Compromise. Not commitment or compromise, commitment and compromise. Why? Because last week, one of the things that we talked about is that life is a series of both mountains and valleys simultaneously. James shared that with us, and I thought that was a very profound thing to think about, that that you're not just on the mountain or in the valley. Oftentimes in your life, there are mountains and valleys at the very same moment. Life is this weird balance, this sort of dualism, right? In the same way, truth, when it is spoken, brings both unity and division at the same time. It unifies some. It divides others. And in the same way, resolutions specifically spiritual ones, will bring both commitment and compromise. Some of you will listen to what we're saying and you will begin to do these things. You will apply it in your life. You will have committed. Some of you will hear what we are saying and you will not apply it. You will compromise. Some of you won't hear it at all. And uh, well, that'll, that'll be yours to figure out. Either way, 2022 brings both commitment and compromise. It's up to you to decide which one you choose. And so James is going to start us off this morning with the first resolution, the resolution to focus on the mountains. First of all, I want to say it's good to be here. Yeah. It's good to be here Amen. alive in 2022 because yesterday I almost bought the farm on my Harley Davidson. And it wasn't my fault. It's never my fault. A likely story. A likely story. And after I cleaned out my pants, I went on home. Gosh. And I didn't tell my wife. She's hearing this for the first time. I thought, well, I guess it's time to get a will. Mm -hmm. A resolution I made is to resolve not to stop riding my Harley. (laughs) Although, you know, that would be a good time probably to do it when you look look at what could have happened and and it didn't, thank God. I'm glad to be here. I really am. Um, and, And I hope that you are as well. And I hope that you will listen because what we are going to try to do is not one of those old tired, you know, make some resolutions and turn over a new leaf and, you know, all those kinds of things. Because really, as Derek said, those are useless and typically uh, worthless in the end, uh, although they might be about something that's worthwhile. So what we're going to do, as he said, we're going to take last week and we're going to carry it. Last week we looked back. This week we're going to look forward to resolve this year to focus on the mountains. And what do I mean by that? Well, last week, as Derek said, uh, as he started stealing my thunder, he said, you know, it reminded you that I had talked about the fact that life is not just mountains and then valleys, but life is made up of mountains and valleys at the same time. I mean, something can be going wonderfully in one area of your life and can be in the pits in the other area of life. So it's not that we do this, it's that we do this all the time. And, and, and what does that mean? Well, we have to focus somewhere, don't we? We have to look at something, and the, the, what I want to challenge you to do is this year to make a decision that you're going to focus on the mountains, not on the valleys. 
Now, that doesn't mean you ignore the valleys. I'm not going to be uh, Joel, uh, um, what's his name? Smiley. Yeah, I'm not going to be that and say, you know, just smile through the trouble and all that kind of stuff. No, that's, that's not biblical at all because you have to face the valleys. You have to deal with them. Don't act like they don't exist. Address the valley experiences, but keep your focus on the mountain. And when you do that, two things will, be, will happen. First of all, you begin to gain some encouragement for life, okay? Because if you're always just focusing on the valley, there's just not a whole lot positive to think about. And so if you can look at that area where really God is working and there are good things that are happening and you are loved and you are able to to be loving to other people, then that gives you some encouragement for life. But another thing that that does is it gives you some strength to face that valley. Mm. Because when you begin to think, as we tend to do, that all life is just valley after valley after valley, after a while you lose hope and you give up strength. So if you can understand that at the same time that these valleys are happening in your life, there are also some mountains and it's a decision that each one of us have to make of where we're going to focus. Our natural tendency in our humanity is to focus on the negative. That is our natural tendency to focus on the valley. And let me give you an illustration of how this works. If you're driving down the highway and you see a car that's pulled over at the side of the road, you notice that car, you register its existence, but you don't focus on that car. In other words, you're not doing this as you drive by. But let a three-car pileup happen with fire trucks and ambulances and lights flashing, and everybody on that highway will slow down to 20 miles an hour, and they will be rubbernecking. And when you're two miles down the road, you'll still be looking in your rearview mirror at the melee that happened on the side of the road. News people have a saying that says, if it bleeds, it leads. Now, what that means is, if it's really bloody, it's going to go above the fold on the front page. Because you see, death and mayhem sell better, capture people's attention, and hold it longer than the normal good things of life. Because there is something that is in us, it is part of the sin nature, I assume, that is drawn to tragedy, that is drawn to the loss, that's drawn to the negative. It just captures us. It enfolds itself around us. And in that environment, we tend to forget the mountain that we should be celebrating at the time, and we're focusing on the valley. Now, I want to tell you, this week I had a very, very refreshing experience. No, it wasn't yesterday on South Cooper when I nearly bought the farm on my Harley-Davidson. That was a valley. Well, the fact that I survived it, that was a mountain. <laughs> so which one are you going to focus on? I'm, like I said, I'm glad to be here. But this week I had a really inf- refreshing experience. You know what that was? I caught a common cold. Mm. I thought that COVID had wiped out the common cold. I thought the common cold had gone astray. Uh, extinct. In fact, when my nasal passages stopped up and my nose began to run and my throat got stretchy, it was like an old friend had come back to visit. And all week long, when I mentioned to people that I had a cold, people immediately said, well, it could be COVID. Have you taken a COVID test? I have to confess to you, I never did. And there are two reasons why I didn't. First of all, I couldn't find one. (laughs) And in fact, people finally convinced me, well, I guess I ought to test just to make, it could be the O, it could be the Omicron, and you know, they say that's kind of like a cold, and I could be infecting people, so I better go get a test. I went to every pharmacy within driving distance, and there wasn't one. I even went to one of those drive-in things where, um, you know, where they're doing it for free, and they re- reached their quota with the car right in front of me. I rolled my window down. She said, sorry, sir, we've reached our quota. And I went, quota for what? (laughs) We're out of tests. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. So I didn't get a test. Besides that, the second reason is I know what a cold looks like. It's an old friend. Mm -hmm. I've had hundreds of them, I suppose, in my life. You see, here's the problem with that story, is that we have become so conditioned that every sickness is a death sentence in our culture over the last two years. We have become so focused on this thing of COVID that everything, every sniffle, every little stopped up is something that could kill you. 
And even though honest professionals tell us that Omicron, listen to this, folks, Omicron signals the end of the pandemic. We ought to be shouting from the rooftops. It's much more virile, in other words, it passes quicker, but it is much less lethal. And that ought to be cause for celebration, shouldn't it? People should be saying, hallelujah, Delta's still around, but man, it's going away. And virtually all things, we're coming to the end of a pandemic, moving into endemic, where we're going to have to figure out how to live with this thing for the rest of our lives. Yet the fear-mongering has been hyped up higher than it's been since the very beginning. Mm. Because people want to focus on fear. They can't celebrate the mountain, still stuck in the valley. You know, we ought to be celebrating People are still dying. People are still sick. But this is indicating to us that we are getting past the worst part of this, yet we still live in fear. See, this is the human tendency, people. This is our human tendency to focus on the car wreck. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 through 23, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And literally, it's singular there in the Scripture. Oh, gosh, here he goes. The singular eye. Because me and Jesus are like this, okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I want to tell you what that is. That is a first century way of saying, watch out what you focus on. Watch out what you put your eye on. Watch out what you allow to come in and in what you see. And if you focus on the wrong thing, then your body is going to be full of darkness. If you focus on the right thing, then your body can be full of light. In Matthew 14, the story is told of when Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples and they were in the middle of the storm and, and Jesus called Peter out of the boat to him and Peter comes out and he's doing pretty good. He's walking on the water until he took his focus off of Jesus, the scripture says, and started looking around him at those bad waves and that's when he sank. Mm. Because initially his focus had been on the mountain, his focus had been on the Lord Jesus who had commanded him to come, he took his focus off of that and put it on the trouble and he began to sink. And I think Jesus did that knowing what Peter would do to teach him a lesson. It's important where you look. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which so clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You see, Jesus is not saying that Peter should not know that the waves are there or that Peter shouldn't be aware of the waves. He's not talking about the fact that we shouldn't see other things other than Jesus. He's not saying that we ignore the trouble that is around us. It means that we make the decision to put our focus on him and to put our focus on those good things that he's doing. So this year, the challenge is, and if, if you do this, you'll stand out in your crowd. If you do this, you will stand out. Each one of us has to decide, what are you going to focus on? How about, how about resolve this year to focus on the mountain, to put your, your, your eye in the right place so that your body can be filled with life? Think about this. What if everyone here this morning decided to fill your eye with the light of Jesus instead of the darkness of, of the tragedy of the world? Man. So we prepare for the valley. Yes, because the valley's coming, but we focus on the mountain. Mm. Prepare for the valley, but focus on the mountain. Second of all, resolve to focus on availability rather than ability. Now, last week, again, I talked to you about the fact that one of the things I've discovered in life is that God most often uses the available. He uses the available. He loves to confound the, the wise of the world with the foolishness of the kingdom. He loves to choose a bunch of idiots to do his work. That's Praise a God. literal translation. Praise God. That's right out of the Greek. Right out of the Greek. Mm. And we, we're, we're demonstrations. Most of us are demonstrations of that truth. So in the kingdom, get this, availability is the greatest ability. Mm. Availability is the greatest ability. We all bring our abilities, 
But your availability to be used is much greater than any ability that you could possibly bring to God. Now, in February, Derek and I, after he does his little three-part thing through uh, three books of the Old Testament, in February, we're going to begin a study of the book of Nehemiah. This will be the third time that I've taught through the book of Nehemiah in 40 years, and I love doing it. Because Nehemiah was a Jew who had never been to Jerusalem, had never seen the Holy Land, because Nehemiah had been born into captivity. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians came through Jerusalem, leveled the city, leveled the temple, leveled the protecting wall, and carried the Jews back to Babylon into captivity. They became slaves in Babylon. Later, it wasn't too many years, about a decade or two, the the Persians came along and captured and, and beat up the Babylonians. And so now the Jews in captivity are, under the, are in bondage to the Persians who were not any better than the Babylonians. In fact, they were worse. So that's Nehemiah's time. See, Nehemiah is one of those generations that had been born in captivity. And his, his forebears had been carried off. He had never been to Jerusalem. He had never seen the city. He had never been to the Holy Land. And at this time in his life... Though he's faithful to his God, he's never seen the temple. He's a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, that sounds like an important thing. What the cupbearer did is he tasted the cup in case it was poison. So if somebody was trying to poison the king, he'd die and the king would know not to drink it. Okay? That's what Nehemiah's job was. But in that, Nehemiah has a great desire to be used of God, even though he's never been to the Holy Land. His great desire is to see God restore his people fully to the land. Specifically on Nehemiah's heart was the wall of protection around the city. Now, Nehemiah knows that through Ezra and Zechariah, there had already been some reconstruction that had started on the temple, rebuilding of houses, rereading of the, of the, of the Word of God uh, on the temple steps, but still that wall was down, and he knew that God's people would never be fully restored or safe until the wall of protection had been rebuilt. And so God put it on his heart that he's to go and rebuild the wall. So he prays, and he makes himself available, and then he prepares. And in God's time, which is a good bit of time, he does go back and rebuilds the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And by that time, he does it with the king's blessing. The king gives, the king of Persia, gives materials for the building, gives him a group of people, and Nehemiah with his people and the people that were living back in Jerusalem at that time rebuilt the wall around the city in a record time of 52 days. Now, the key is not the miracle of the rebuilding. The key is the miracle of Nehemiah's availability. You see, Nehemiah said, I want to do this. I, ne- I hear people all the time say, you know, Christ never uses me. And my question is, are you usable? You know, I mean, seriously, here's a question. Are you usable? Have you made yourself usable? Have you made yourself available? Are you available to be used of him morally? in the way you live your life? Are you available spiritually? Are you even available physically to the Lord? You see, Nehemiah didn't have any special building ability. And we'll talk about that again in a moment. Now, let me challenge you here. Let me challenge you. Do something this year where you simply make yourself available. You don't write the script for God. You don't tell him what he's got to use you to do. You don't tell him where you're willing to serve and where you're not willing to serve. You simply say, Lord, I will make myself available with no conditions. Hmm. None of this, well, I'll do it, Lord, if it rises to the position that I have in life. I mean, you know what I do out there in the secular world. I'm not about to sweep the floor. Uh, I mean, change white baby butts over in the nursery or anything like that. I mean, that's really beneath you know, my level. So you give me something to do that's in sync with my education and my abilities, and I'll do it. None of that business. Just say, Lord, I will make myself available to you. You know, conservatives really love Nehemiah because oh. he, uh, he not only built the wall, but he brokered a deal where another nation paid for it. <laughs> that is exactly the truth. He's already been studying for the series, you can tell. <laughs> That's right. I will build the wall and the Persians will pay for make it. Okay. Them pay for it. Anyway. Third, real quickly, because Derek has a lot to say. Resolve <laughs> to be faithful where you are. You know, he didn't give me that during the week because he knew I would use it. 
Jesus gave us a principle in Matthew 25, 21, where he said, you have been faithful in a few things, you will be given charge over many things. Jesus established a principle in the kingdom of God. When we are faithful where we are, that is the only definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness, folks, is never about the future. It is always about the present. God never asks us, well, if I give you this position or if I give you this job, will you be faithful to me? He never asks, will you be faithful tomorrow? He only asks, will you be faithful where you are right now? Because, folks, that's the only place faithfulness can be shown. You can't show that you'll be faithful tomorrow because tomorrow ain't here. You can't show that you'd be faithful in that other position because you don't have that position. The only thing you and I have to show God's faithfulness, our faithfulness, is where we are and what we are doing right now. So we come back to Nehemiah, and we're going to see that between the time when Nehemiah prayed that God would give him favor with the king to let him go back to Jerusalem, and God actually opened that door for him to go, there was quite a a period of time. It could have been several years, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. Yeah. It probably was several years. So what is Nehemiah doing in the meantime when he begins to beseech God and makes himself available before God actually uses him? What's he doing? He's staying faithful. He continues to pray. He continues to, pe- to prepare. He continues to be the cupbearer to the, to the pagan king of Persia. Keeps drinking the wine Checking for poison, he keeps, he's being faithful, he's being faithful. And when the time was right, Nehemiah had proved his faithfulness and God used him to do the next thing. Mm. See, the challenge this year, folks, the challenge that's going to come to every one of us is that we're going to resolve to be faithful or we're going to resolve not to be. You're either going to resolve to be faithful or you're going to choose to compromise. And oftentimes we compromise where we are because of where we want to be. Mm. And we go, well, I'll be faithful if you'll get me there, Lord. And the Lord says, well, you're not faithful where you are. Why could I trust you with that? So each one of us, prepare for the valley. Get ready for that. Don't ignore the valley. But focus on the mountain. Prepare your ability, but focus on being available to the Lord. Prepare for the future, but focus on the present. Mm. Now, Derek, take us home. The last resolution that uh, I want to talk with you about this morning is the resolution to commit to the truth. To commit to the truth. We said last week that truth has this really strange way of bringing both unity and division. It unites some people to Jesus It divides other people away from Jesus. But here's the truth. In order for the truth to impact you in any kind of meaningful way, you have to commit to it first. And and here's the thing. I I thought about this this week. I think that most people in our church at City on a Hill would agree with that sentiment. I think that they would say, yeah, I'm committed to the truth. Like if I asked you, are you committed to the truth? I think most people would be like, absolutely. But if I asked you to demonstrate by your day-to-day and week-to-week actions, how you're committed to the truth, I wonder how many could make a really good case for it. And I don't say that to, to judge or to make you feel bad, but if we're going to look at this year as a, as a time to bring positive change, then honesty is needed before we can get there. Resolving to commit to the truth requires action. It's an actionable process. It's not just something that you say you agree with. But it means that you are doing something about it. It motivates you. You're pursuing it in some way. So what I want to do for the rest of our remaining time here this morning is just give you some practical ways that you can commit to the truth, not just agree with the truth, but actually commit to the truth. So that, so that when someone asks you, how committed are you? Are, are you really committed to the truth of God's word? I want be, you to be able to say, yes, here's how. Three ways that you can commit to the truth at City on a Hill. There's certainly lots of other ways, but at City on a Hill, three easy ways that you can commit to uh, the truth. Number one, you can commit to learning it. Commit to learning God's Word. I mean, this isn't rocket science, right? One way you commit to it is by to, to know it more deeply, to understand it better. And there's lots of ways to do that here at City on a Hill. Again, I'm going to give you a few of them. Number one, probably the most obvious, is what we call our life Bible study. It's a, 
uh, just a fancy, more contemporary way of saying Sunday school, right? <laughs> it's all it is, 9 and 10.30, both services that we have on Sunday mornings. There are also life Bible studies that are We have meeting. to change the nomenclature in order to fool people. Right, Like yeah. we change the name exactly. of the church every yeah. 10 years just yeah, to we, fool people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can't call it Sunday school because that sounds boring, so we call it life Bible study. And then it, yeah, right, it's still not working. Um, <laughs> We've got to come up with another plan. I've got to come up with another plan. Brunch. How about that? We'll call it brunch. Have brunch. That'll work. That will work. Come to brunch. Nine Let's to ten feet on God's yeah, word. Absolutely. Uh, right now, we are finishing the book of Judges. Uh, in February, we're actually going to be beginning in the Gospel of Luke. And, and here's what you will learn. If you've never been in one before, you will learn a verse-by-verse approach to studying the Scripture. Every week... Uh, I, I provide study guides that are, are typically uh, both online and in the City Life Center. I write all of them. I give you all of the notes and commentary that you will need to study that particular passage of Scripture for that week. Uh, in, that, in that study guide, after the notes, there is a section of personal study where you have four days of individual study. There's two questions a day, so eight questions total. Uh, they take 15 to 20 minutes a day is all, only four. So between Sunday and Sunday, you have, just pick any four days. And those are your days where you open up the Bible, you read the verse that it tells you to read, and you answer the question that it asks you to answer. Here's the deal. It will feel very repetitive. That is a, a thing that a couple of people have talked to me about. It. You know, these questions are very repetitive. That's by design. That, there's a reason for that. The Bible study process is a four-phase process. Observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. And observation, that first step, is the most skipped part of the Bible study process. I've told this story before, but my first semester in seminary, in hermeneutics class, we had an assignment. We were given one verse, one Bible verse out of the book of Romans. What was that professor's name? Herman? No, yeah. Herman who? (laughs) Uh, Hermeneutics. It's the study of interpretation. (laughs) Uh, we were given one verse out of the book of Romans, and we were told we had to come up with 25 observations for that one verse. 25. And I wrestled with it all week, and I came up with my 25, and I came back to class the next week. I was so pumped. We talked through them, and he said, okay, great. Here's your assignment for next week. Find 25 more. And I went, you got to be kidding me. But here's the deal. I did. I found 25 more, 50 observations from one single verse. It's the most skipped part because what people do is they, they kind of blow by the verse, they sort of half read it and go, how does this apply to my life, <laughs> right? Straight to application. That's a horrible habit. So this study is going to force you to slow down, really read every line of scripture, answer very basic questions so that you can learn the process. I give you a lot of the interpretation in my notes. This observation process helps you see how I get there. And then the last portion of it, you'll come to class on Sunday, and you will talk through the group discussion questions, which are the application portion of study, where you've been reading the Bible all week, and then this portion, the Bible begins to read you. And I will Mm -hmm. tell you, if you will commit to this, you will grow in your understanding of God's Word. It's going to cost you, though. It's going to cost you. An extra hour on Sunday morning. Absolutely. You will have to be here for both the 9 and the 10.30. But this kind of study, let me tell you, it is a worthwhile commitment. It is a commitment, but it's a worthwhile commitment. I love what God says in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth. I mean, he's talking about the process of of rain coming down and beginning to uh, bring nutrient to the ground and the soil, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This is what he says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will never return empty. This is a commitment that if you put yourself into this and really give yourself to this process, you will grow in your understanding. Life Bible study is one way you can do it. Wednesday evenings is another way you can do it. I teach a class in here almost every Wednesday night at 6.45 p.m. It is a more master teaching approach, but I still love questions. For those of you who are in my class on Wednesdays, you know, sometimes we'll spend more time answering questions than we will study because it's in the questioning process that I believe we really learn. And so I, I love to do that. I love to, I invite questions in, come. Uh, we, we're right now studying the Old Testament, but we study a variety of things throughout the year. And all you have to do is just show up, bring a Bible, 
And if you want to be like really above the fold, bring a pen and a highlighter <laughs> so, you can, so you can take some notes in your Bible. Uh, one of the phases that I mentioned a moment ago of Bible study is the phase of correlation. And this is something that I do a lot in my Wednesday night class. Once you have interpreted a passage of Scripture, it's helpful to see if what you've interpreted lines up with the rest of Scripture. If you have interpreted a passage of Scripture and you're like, guys, I discovered something that no one has ever said before. <laughs> In 2,000 you, years. You are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. You need correlation. One of the principles that we talk about here is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And that's what correlating does. It, it helps you see how other parts of the Bible say what this part that you're studying says. We're not discovering says. anything new. We just put new names on it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. A third way is by Sunday mornings. Uh, James and I do a considerable amount more of teaching the Bible than, than most average pastors. That's not a, it's not a pat on our backs. It's just, it's just the reality. A lot, of, a lot of pastors, preachers will preach. Uh, we believe the teaching element is extremely important. If, if we're Absolutely. going to preach out of the text, you need to understand what the text means. And so we spend a lot of time unpacking that. Again, great time to learn the scripture right here on Sunday mornings. Bring a Bible, bring a pen and a highlighter, take notes. Now church on Sunday morning should be an obvious, like I shouldn't even have to mention this, right? But I want you to consider for a moment your attendance. How, how many weeks do you miss? Especially if you're not here on Wednesday nights, if you're not in a life Bible study, if Sunday is the primary, the primary means of learning God's word and you miss Sundays with any sort of regularity, you are getting significantly less biblical input into your life than you probably realize. So one great commitment, if we're just being honest, very practical, is just be in attendance. Come to church. Make church a priority. Make coming here a priority. There are a variety of excuses that you can come up with. And you've got to get past those and just commit. Well, sometimes I'm just too tired. Who isn't tired? <laughs> Honestly, it's 2022. Everyone is tired. Well, it's cold out there too. Well, right. That's another one. It's too cold out this morning. Well, but that's true for all of us. And we came. We're here. Well, well you get paid to come. Right. Yeah. Well, these people don't. <laughs> like they say, you're paid to be good. I'm good for nothing. I'm good for nothing. Some people say, well, I have a lot going on right now. I'm just waiting for things to calm down. That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Everyone has a lot going on right now. It's a pipe dream to think that things are going to slow down. Now, what if you work on Sundays? Okay, I'll give you that. But here's what that means. It is incumbent upon you to prioritize Wednesday nights. To be here. To be here in class. To learn the Bible. Make the commitment this year to be in a Bible study. To come to a class. To be at church every Sunday morning. Don't plan things on those times and go, oh, well, it's just one week. It's never just one week. Mm -hmm. Right? Make the commitment to learn God's Word. That's the first thing. Number two, commit to applying God's truth to your hurts. Commit to applying God's truth to your hurts. One of the unique things I, I believe sets City on a Hill apart from, from other churches is our freedom group ministry. It's one of the most unique things about this church. It's one of the things that has uh, probably done more for my life and my relationships than almost anything else I have experienced. Um, it is the difficult process of, of identifying hurts in your life and allowing the truth of God's word to be applied to those things. You know, I remember I thought about this this week. Uh, when I was a, a kid, I, was, I didn't have a lot of supervision. And uh, that meant that I often scraped my knees and arms up a lot <laughs> because I was always doing stupid things that kids probably shouldn't be doing because there was no one there telling me I shouldn't do it. You know, whether it was rollerblading or bicycling or, or whatever, climbing things I shouldn't be climbing, I fell down and got a lot of scrapes and bruises. And I remember this one time I was at my grandmother's house. I was riding a bike. It was, it was, it was rainy outside, and I had this idea. There was this sewage drain, and I had this idea of <laughs> setting up this makeshift ramp and going down her street and hitting the ramp and going into the like six feet of rushing water in this sewage drain. Couldn't be resisted. Couldn't be resisted. No. And so I did, except for I didn't make it to the sewage drain. I ended up on the concrete part on the side and I scraped up my leg real bad. And, and so I came running inside. I was little, man. I was probably, I had to have been seven or eight years old and ran inside, blood all down my leg. And my grandmother, you know, picked me up and put me on her, on her countertop and got this rag and wiped the blood off of my knee. And she had this, she kept this, 
I don't know what it was. It was this ointment. It had to have been made of pure acid. I'm not really sure what it was, but <laughs> monkey blood. Oh my gosh! But it, she would put Remember it on monkey blood. Put it on this bandage, and she stuck it up on that on that wound and pressed on it. And it, man, it burned. It felt like my leg was going to fall off. But after about a couple moments, it stopped hurting, and it stopped hurting entirely. And I was like, "Whoa, this is so much better." Good stuff. Yeah, that was a gateway drug. <laughs> that was the gateway drug. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Probably was. She bandaged it all up, and, and off I went back to riding my bike outside. Um, I thought about that this week because I, I think that is such a good imagery of, of what this process is like, right? You come into these groups just bleeding everywhere. And what we do is we take the Word of God, and we press it up against that wound and hold it there and apply pressure there, and it hurts so badly. But if you will give it time, after a little while... It stops to hurt, and it actually starts to heal. It gets a little itchy every now and again. You want to mess with it, right? But it starts to heal, and it prevents further infection. That is the process that we provide here in this freedom group process. And here's the great part about it. The people who are putting that bandage up on, that word of God up onto your wound, they have nine times out of ten experienced the same exact wound that you are currently going through. And so they have all of the experience in the world to be doing what they're doing. It's an amazing process. Let me ask you, when was the last time you took a freedom group? Have you ever taken a freedom group? That might be a better question. And if not, why? You know, do, do you think that you don't need it? Do you not have any hurt in your life whatsoever? Is there no pain in your life that the Word of God cannot be applied to? That sounds like denial or pride or maybe both. Make the commitment to not only learn God's Word, but once you have begun to learn it, begin applying it specifically to the hurts in your life that are preventing you from doing a lot of the things, honestly, that James just talked about, being available, focusing on the mountain. So often, we focus on the wrong things because we are sort of self-sabotaging ourselves because of the hurts that we've experienced that we've not been able to heal from. So make that commitment. Third, last but not least, I'll end here. Commit to living out God's word in your life. Commit to being in community, in face-to-face incarnational community. God created you with a body. I, I wrote a very long, lengthy, it's my first actually uh, research assignment this past semester for uh, the first six months of my doctoral study. And, and what I focused on was how uh, virtual learning fails on a theological level. Uh, I am, for what it's worth, I, I believe in the value of, of virtual learning in specific contexts. I think it's, it's very helpful. But it fails on a theological level as a primary means of education because we are, by, by creative order, bodies. You don't just have a body, you are a body. You're not, a, you've heard that idea, you know, you, what is it, you're, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, but you have a body, or you're like a soul trapped in a body. That's just Gnosticism. <laughs> That's neo-Gnosticism. That is heresy. You don't have a body, you are a body. God created with you one, or you with one. And, and the only time in your life where you will ever not be in your body is that moment between death and resurrection. That's the only disembodied state you'll ever face. After you are resurrected to the newness of life in this new heavenly body, you're in a body for the rest of eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. And so it makes sense then that what we require as human beings is bodily interaction. And so applying, living out God's word, God's truth in your relationships is essential, and it is essential that it is done in person. I wasn't going to go there, but we've got a little bit of time, so I will. Uh, one of the things that I'm attacking in this article uh, that I wrote is a, a branch of critical theory um, called post-human theory. And what post-human theory suggests is that we are eventually going to evolve away from our physical means. That who you are as a person um, is more than your physical means, and that your whole personhood then can eventually be conveyed in a virtual context. So the metaverse, those of you who have heard about what's going on there, there are already churches that are trying to establish themselves in the metaverse. I would suggest this is very dangerous territory. Because you are moving away from how God creatively designed you as a physical individual. Isn't it interesting? There's a new translation of John 1 that yeah. can come now that Jesus 
didn't come to us by Zoom. <laughs> yeah. But he dwelt among us. Yeah. He said, and he took upon himself the, the fullness human of humanity. Yeah. yeah, the fullness Absolutely. of humanity. And, and, and dwelt among us. Incarnational living is what he's talking about. So why I bring this up is to commit to living out God's word in your relationships means in every practical sense to, to provide a need that is there. And I would suggest to you that, that there are very few needs that can be uh, provided in any kind of distance setting. That most needs are provided by means of physical interaction. And this interaction is so important to our witness to the outside world. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not if you have distant phone calls, not if you Zoom, if you have real, tangible love for one another. This is what it means to commit to living it out in your life. Are you in community? Are you in face-to-face community? Or, or do you just kind of push that aside and go, yeah, I'll get to that later? The new year can present to you so many new opportunities for growth, but they will only happen if you make some commitments that move yourself into these positions. You know, really, at the end, what I'm asking of you is for you to buy in to the mission of City on a Hill. That's really what I just asked you to do. One of the major changes we made in 2021 was we took our vision statement and we expanded it, and then we turned it into our vision statement, our mission statement. If you missed it, it was at a leadership conference we did, the Taking Shape conference back earlier this year. But this is how the mission statement reads. It says, becoming a safe place for people to let go of their secrets, providing a safe process to grow in emotional and spiritual maturity in Christ, developing disciples and the truth of God's word, and loving one another as a witness to the world. Everything that I just said can be captured in that mission statement. Applying God's word, God's truth to your hurts, that's done by means of being in a safe place where you can let go of those things and having a safe process to work through them. Learning God's word, learning the truth of God's word, we call that developing disciples in our mission statement. Living it out, we call that loving one another as a witness to the world. Really, by committing to the truth of God's word, what you are doing is, in essence, you're committing to the mission of city on a hill. The question is, will you? Will you be committed to it? So, you know, know, for 40 years, I've done that, said that. Yeah. And every pastor that believes in the Bible has said that to his congregation. And every pastor has had numerous people through the years come up and ask the question, Pastor, when are you going to quit drumming on this thing about coming to Bible study? (laughs) And my answer is always, when everybody's doing it. Yeah. And everybody's not. So going to keep beating the drum. And so he's picking up the next generation. So for the next 40 years, that's what you're going to hear. <laughs> the same loud clangy symbol. Because not Bible be- study. Not because about numbers because quite frankly we don't even know how many people are in Bible study in the classes. We don't I, 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 I don't, don't even keep know that. So it's not about numbers. It is really about the mission of in of Christ in your life and the mission in the church cannot be accomplished with people that do not have a firm grasp, not only of the meaning of Scripture, but the application of it. Well, and the reality is, I've said this before, and I will say it a hundred times more, you cannot, hear me, you cannot be obedient to a truth that you do not know. You can't. It is impossible. You want to be obedient to God's truth? You have to know it. You have to learn it. You're going to get a lot of it here, so come here. Be in attendance. You're going to get a lot of it in Bible study, so go to Bible study and grow. And this time next year, in 2023, when I get up here and go, next year, resolve to going to Bible study, those of you who actually did it can go, you know what? He was right. And there there are many of our folks here who are great students of the Scripture. You've done Bible study fellowship. You've done all those kinds of things. You study on your own, so you don't see that you need to have a need for this. You have something to offer in that classroom. Absolutely. You have something to offer to others who don't, don't have that knowledge and don't have that ability to exegete and to exposit the Scripture. And so you, you have, you, you've been faithful in studying God's Word. Now it's time to give it away. Time to give it away. 2022, y'all. This is it. This is the new year. There's a lot of opportunity here. What will you do? Will you focus on the mountaintop instead of the valley? 
Will you, will you focus on being available? Not, not just what you're able to do, but your availability. Will you focus on being faithful wherever you are in whatever capacity that is? Will you commit to the truth by learning it, by applying it, and by living it out? Hmm. The answer to those questions will in great, great detail shape the way this year goes for us as a body. Hmm. But it's up to you. I hope you commit and you don't compromise. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for just a reminder that, uh, Father, what we focus on matters a great deal. Where we put our attention matters a great deal. Where our eyes are fixed, as Jesus said, is a, is a, a matter of great importance. And I pray that this year would be fertile ground for new focus, that we would begin to look at the mountains and celebrate those things. Not, not ignore the valleys, but, but celebrate the mountains. Not let the valleys tear down the mountains, that that would be our focus, that we would focus on our availability to be used by you, to be faithful where we are in whatever capacity that is. And God, that we would commit today to the truth of your word. That we wouldn't beat ourselves up, that we wouldn't see this as law, as judgment, as, as some kind of unbearable weight, but that we would see this as an opportunity, God, to learn what you have said very clearly in your scripture on a more deeper and consistent basis. We know, God, if we do that, it changes the landscape of not only this body, but the community that this body exists within. And our witness is uh, certainly improved as well. How we love you. We thank you for the opportunity, for every opportunity we have to open the scriptures. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. We will see you next Sunday. Be here in attendance, especially those of you online, especially those of you who are watching are late. We're, we're starting in Proverbs. Okay. Proverbs. God bless you. <laughs>